world's not as simple as it used to be. It's not enough to be a good guy anymore. We have to be the best. The time has come. All will be accounted for. Or we will hunt them. Stand up! It's time to be the heroes we were always meant to be! So yeah, I, I uh, double-checked and like turned everything on well before we started recording. Um, tranquilized the children so they will not be <laughs> bursting down the door. Hey kids, you what? know what chloroform smells like? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's barbaric. I just soaked the teddy bears in chloroform and they just snuggled right up. <laughs> oh, yeah, no nightmares tonight. Have you guys seen that video where it's like a, it's, it's a lady and I, I forgot the name of the product, but like she has like the spray that she just sprays on the kids to like help them go to sleep. And they're like, yeah, they're like, listen to this, to this doctor talk about how great this product is. And he's just looking at the back of the bottle. He's like, this is just chloroform. (laughs) (laughs) You say ether. I say ether, ether, ether. (laughs) We are the Superhuman Registration Podcast, unless you are from the uh, Department of Child Protective Services, in which case we are kidding. Very much We so. are my brother, my brother, and me. <laughs> <laughs> if we're in trouble, that's who we are. Yep. You tell him. I am your host, Justin McElroy. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Griffin. <laughs> Hi. I, I'm just. I can't. No, I'm Travis. I can't, I can't pretend I have a beard. <laughs> Oh, darn it, I should have been Travis. Yeah. Ugh. I wanted to be Travis, but I forgot the name of the one that what he likes. <laughs> oh, my God. Which I That's presume was Travis, because he's no. the one whose name I couldn't remember. Do people like Travis? I like Travis. I thought he was the Travis one who got in trouble. Travis is a divisive figure. There's okay. A, there's a, like, two-hour YouTube video from Sarah Zed, who she goes into a lot of the McElroy Brothers drama. Uh, I watched that. You did. I have not I watched that. It's it's interesting. Sarah Zed's got peculiar takes on internet culture that I don't always agree with. But her perspective is is insightful, and she helps me fill in the blanks when there's random internet drama that I don't know anything about. Like, I know more about Homestuck now than I ever did before and ever will again. I don't want um, to wade into that kiddie pool. I don't... You guys, <laughs> you guys have heard about the drama with... Uh, James Corden BTS, right? No, what's the what's the beef TS? Uh so <laughs> I I ate that already. Uh, so apparently <laughs> they, they they performed or they were at some UN uh event thing. And James Corden was talking about how how unusual it is for 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 them to be there and they're like this is the first time that that 15-year-old girls tuned in to watch the UN conference, blah, 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 blah. Uh, apparently, like, a lot of people are not 15-year-old girls and were really not happy with that comment. Biggest fan of BTS that I know is uh, my project manager at work. She has all of the Barbie dolls. That they're, they're, like, BTS-shaped Barbie dolls. Huh. Oh, I thought we, you were saying behind the scenes, like on James Corden's show. <laughs> Catch me up. <laughs> what are we talking about, fellas? <laughs> I am uh, I am outside of the lifeboat, and I need a life preserver. <laughs> BTS, the, the the biggest K-pop act in the world. Uh, they did that one song with Halsey. They they're very pretty. 
They're very pretty. What does BTS stand for? Wasn't it like... I, I don't remember. Boy Toy Studios? Oh, is the Bangtan Boys? No is Bangtan Boys? I don't know. That oh. doesn't translate. Anyways. Yeah, that makes more sense than my thing. Sure. Um, anyway, so we are not here to talk about K-pop, although I have opinions. Um, <laughs> we are here to talk about other things. We're, we, we got a couple of stories that we read. We got one that is uh, new and exciting and interesting, and one that is controversial should should uh, controversial you can just say crap putting that you can say crap yeah, you can say crap yeah, all you want without an explicit tag crap crap crappity crap Ooh, wow this is a free country so which story do we is want it? to start with is it i i'm not opening that can of worms <laughs> <laughs> i feel like we should um you know like when someone gives you bad news good news like i think you do the bad news first I'm pretty sure it's the good news first, typically. Not tonight, but it's we not. Can... <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're going to start with the Draco. <sighs> Malfoy. <laughs> I would rather have read a hundred pages of him going, scared, Potter, scared, Potter, my father's going to hear about this, than what we read. <laughs> okay, so I only knew of Draco by, by the Malfoy connection. Ooh, the Malfoy connection sounds like it'd be a neat book. But anyways, <laughs> is, no, JK writes it. Is the Draco is that what what is what does the word mean? Is it dragon related? So I Draco assume not. is the Latin word for serpent or dragon. Oh, I was it right. It is a nickname for Satan. Ah, which is I believe why the story is called the Draco. That's thematic. Uh, that is an explanation that makes sense, and that might be one of the last things that makes sense that we talk about for a while. Yep. <laughs> Draco was written by Chuck Austin, and over the course of the series, the art was provided by Sean Phillips, Philip Tan, and Takeshi Miyazawa. Uh, colors were perform- or provided by Dave McKaig, Craig Young, Scott Emer, and then for the bulk of the run, it was actually just credited to Avalon Studios, and we've got Russ Wooten as the letterer throughout. I thought that instead of starting with a recap of the book, I would instead, just devoid of context, read off some of the stuff that happens. Oh, yes, please. Mystique, the famous supervillain whose confidence and sexuality are lauded as her greatest weapons, uh, falls mega hard for the devil, and then when he spurns her, she gets all brokenhearted and throws a baby off a cliff. Lorna Dane, the X-Man, known as Polaris, decides that she wants her uh, ex-boyfriend's current girlfriend to suffer, so she pulls her into her own mind, into Lorna Dane's mind, so that she can see a memory of Polaris and Havoc having sex. Uh, Juggernaut befriends a little boy who is abused at home, and when Juggernaut shows up to try to protect the kid from the abuse that he's receiving winds up accidentally killing the kid's mom. Uh, and that's after Juggernaut makes a whole bunch of homophobic comments about North Star. Uh, Havoc threatens to pee on the decapitated head of Iceman. Iceman's decapitated head asks Havoc to pee on him. And Iceman's decapitated head is the result of only one of the several beheadings that happen throughout the story. Ha, huh, headings. 
Also, I forgot to write this one down, but there's a character in this book named Kiwi Black whose name is probably not racist, but it sounds racist. Feels a little racist. It's not. I looked it up and it's like, he is from New Zealand and so Kiwi is appropriate and he's named Kiwi Black after the the tendency for a lot of New Zealander teams, sports teams, to be called the Blacks. So it's towing that line. It still sounds racist. (laughs) Um, I would also point out that Mystique disguises herself as a housemaid and hooks up with some dude on their manor, uh, only to set hi- set him up for failure, uh, for uh, assault, when he assumes that he and the maid have another romantic tryst that evening, and she catcalls wildly in her bed at, like, having, you know, mixed those two up. In, and like the bad art on top of it makes it really grotesque. As a like besides being appalling, the act of it, um, the art just really caps it off as just terrible. I'm sure all of the the creative team that's been mentioned have done other good things. I, I assume I haven't looked into it. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. Not a fan of any of this here. Well, okay, so now let's do just the super quick summary, because I've talked about everything except what I think most people consider to be the most egregious part of this story, which is uh, the character assassination of Nightcrawler. Oh wait, let's talk about his talk about his conception. <laughs> God. Well, we just did. That was that was the the tryst that Mystique had with the devil that made her so sad she threw her baby off the cliff in a church. Oh my gosh, they had the tryst in the church. That's right, because yeah. you know, he's the devil. Uh, blah. Anyway, so Nightcrawler. Uh, is one of several children of this demon lord, claims to be literal Satan, named Azazel, who is, he's been banished from Earth, uh, except he's been able to, like, sneak out and have these babies through whose mutations he is trying to get back to Earth. So Nightcrawler is one, Nightcrawler can teleport, and every time he teleports, there's this smell of brimstone. It's because Nightcrawler is teleporting basically through hell. Uh, one of Nightcrawler's siblings is a mutant named Abyss, who has the ability to open portals in his body. Um, portals which are apparently magnetic, because Polaris can also open these portals, and she winds up sticking her head, like, out through Abyss's chest, which is super weird. So this is all just a big plot for Azazel to get back to Earth through his mutant children. Um, and it doesn't work. That's enough of a plot summary. I think people get upset about it because Nightcrawler is, like, thematically the character of Nightcrawler is, like, the, uh... He is this very kind-hearted, sweet, lovable, uh, mutant who looks scary but isn't actually any different. You know, the central metaphor of of the X-Men at times is they are still people even though they look and, uh, act different. And Nightcrawler was one of the the best encapsulations of that because Nightcrawler literally looked like a devil. The Draco takes that sort of subtext of he looks like a devil, but he's actually a really sweet human being, and says, no, he's actually a devil. He is literally the son of the devil. And I think a lot of people found that frustrating. To me, that's actually the least offensive part of this story. Um, 
There are creators involved in this who are good. Chuck Austin, I know, is a controversial figure in comics. I used to know his history a little bit better because I read a lot of articles about him. I know he wrote for Superman. Um, he has done a lot of work, but a lot of what he has done is really divisive. Um, one of my favorite artists, Takeshi Miyazawa, pops in for the final issue. And I think, in fairness, his issue is probably the best of them. I've read Sean Phillips and Philip Tan before. Um, like, these are good creators. This is a bad story. Bad, bad is, like, is very bad. It is, it is not, not, ugh, it is so bad. Also, also, um, wasn't there, didn't, hold on. Didn't Nightcrawler also have, like, a half-sister who was kind of crushing on him or something? Or did I misread that? I am reasonably sure that was a thing that was in there. It yeah. doesn't feel out of place. Yeah, that was like, I'm already well beyond, you know, a terrible things that have happened. At that point, I was just like, sure, just throw it on the pile. You know, let's just keep getting through this story. Oh, also, and they reveal that apparently... Okay, so, like... Okay, so I like the idea of, uh, like, Catholic mythology, right? Yeah. The, the same way that people are also interested in Norse and Greek mythology or Aztec mythology and all that stuff. So I actually found some aspects of this really interesting, like the whole idea that kind of like Apocalypse, Azazel is a biblical mutant who has been interpreted differently through history and that him and i guess warren worthington aka angel or archangel later is also earlier yeah everywhere anywhere (laughs) (laughs) also comes from like a lineage of mutants who are specifically like angel themed so the idea is that these two mutants are actually angels and devils and uh that was that was interesting, but that was also a little weird because suddenly we go from guy with wings to guy whose blood apparently hurts Nightcrawler. Also, when did the, when did it become canonical that Warren Worthington can like bleed on people to heal them? Oh gosh! Uh, do, oh, do we have time? Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> Angel is Warren Worthington is a very complicated character, and part of the reason that he is complicated is because. He suffers from the flyer problem, which is if your only power is that you can fly, you are useless on a superhero team because the very first superhero could do that among other things. So, like, you've got Hawkman on the Justice League. What is Hawkman's superpower? He can fly. Cool. Superman can do that and also, like, cook your your Hot Pocket for you with his eyeballs. Uh, Warren Worthington's on the X-Men. He can fly. Cool. Storm can also do that and shoot lightning bolts. So they keep trying to do things with Archangel or with Warren Worthington to make him weird or more powerful. They turned him into the Horseman Death and gave him razor wings. At some point, they turned him into a literal angel with healing blood. Um, I I assume that was actually part of Chuck Austin's run because I feel like this picks up at the end of the Grant Morrison run of X-Men. Like, they're all still dressed the same as Grant Morrison's X-Men. Yeah. And they reference a lot of Grant Morrison's X-Men stuff. Uh, Zorn showed up for a page in this book. And I think it's real Zorn, not 
um, Grant Morrison's X-Men version of Zorn, who was actually Magneto. Uh, gosh, the X-Men are complicated. <laughs> it's like a retcon inside of a retcon. It is a nesting doll of mess. Nesting retcon. There you go. I'm trying. I'm going through Warren. Uh, Warren Worthington has a big Wikipedia page, y'all. Um, I'm trying to like all of it's boring. Yeah, it's like well, he's got wings. I, now, to be fair, I like the angle of him being, you know, angel of death for uh, apocalypse and having razor wings. Like that's where I jumped onto Archangel. Like that. That was the, <laughs> that was my uh, action figure. So that's the version that I count. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's the one on the cartoon when I was growing up. Oh gosh, I just opened up the the Draco prologue. The very first image we have Ugh. is Mystique laughing. Uh, it's horrifying. It's, it's yeah. Yeah, I, is the character assassination of Mystique in this book worse than anything else in the book? I thought it was an O face, and I was very surprised. I was like, oh, th- this is what we're opening with. Okay. Oh, you can't tell me it's not. I mean, you can. It isn't though. <laughs> it might as well be though. Textually, is not. <laughs> I'm just saying, I was very surprised. Yep. I. Uh, I think that somewhere in all of this, Alda brings up a good point about the interesting mythology. Somewhere in all of this, they could have done something interesting. There could have been, you know. Kurt, given the offer, like, I'm your dad, and I'm the devil, or what people think of as the devil, um, you you are like me, you should be on my side. Um, Mystique could have been more than just there um, for, like, most of the book, you know. The first issue was horrifying, like, she's awful. Um, it could have been, like her being conflicted but in the end you know choosing to protect her son or something him you know he's he's a uh, catholic i think he's actually like a priest isn't he or at some point becomes one okay sorry I'm stupid question sure at it's some X-Men. point it might even be during this run <laughs> nightcrawler becomes the pope i'm sorry the pope yep with the hat and every, the pope pope yep the, the pope all right, X-Men is even more far gone than I thought. All right. <laughs> this was a dark time for the X-Men. Yeah. Wow. So, so like, my two major complaints, I guess, narratively, as somebody who doesn't really have a lot of stake in the X-Men, is that... Okay, so this, so this starts off kind of like a Mystique story, and then, obviously, it becomes... A, it's a Nightcrawler story. I hate that... Um, I hate that Abyss... Is explaining his power. Talks about how he stuck, uh, how he sucks stuff into his hole. That's a weird sentence. I don't like uh, it. You could have. You could have. There's so that many, better. so many ways that it could have been said. How abyss has. Tried. I didn't. I just went with the first <laughs> thing that came out of my mouth. So he's explaining that, and then when he demonstrates it, it's the opposite and. What pops out but Mystique. Mystique just kind of pops out and then just hangs out for the next couple of issues. Not really doing or contributing much. I'm assuming that, like, that was a plot point from earlier that she got, like, sucked into the abyss. But, yeah, I, I, it's like, well, oh, we needed, we needed Mystique in the mix here. Here she is. Convenient. Yeah. So, I don't know. And the other thing I don't like, and this is something that I had read, because I was reading a little bit about the backlash of this book, and this isn't something that initially I had initially kind of thought of. Part of 
what I don't like about this, having read that, having had this, having had my eyes open to this issue, is the idea that Nightcrawler, you know, looks like a looks like a little devil or something, and you know, the whole point is that he tells people he's not, and he's a nice person, and he's Catholic, so people like him. They're they're endeared to him, right? I mean, Logan even calls him Elf, right? He doesn't call him like Devil or something like that. So the right. idea is that now, anytime anybody has ever referred to him as like a Devil or something like that, they're not wrong. They're not wrong now, and like that's kind of like this weird racial thing where like if you said something about a race of people that they were like related or descended from some sort of animal or some sort of demon or something, but now it's been retconned that that is actually true. So, like, there is credence to that kind of racist fear of Nightcrawler specifically. I don't know if, like, what I'm trying to say makes sense, but it's something that, like, once I read about it, I was like, oh, yeah, I can see why this is a lot more uncomfortable than just, um, the son of the devil. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, like, that that makes sense to me and uh, kind of ties into what I was saying earlier, Um, but... I don't think that was intentional, right? Like, that was just... Chuck Austin thought he had a good idea for... Um, yeah. A story to tell with Nightcrawler. But this is kind of... On the one hand, this is obviously the danger of... Not having sensitivity readers. Not having uh, people... Like, of the non-majority background... Involved in this storytelling. Um... I think it's also the problem with having characters who are allegories for real-world things. There's also a big danger of it. Because it can be really well-intentioned, but stuff like this can get you into it, or can get those characters or yourself as a writer into these weird gray areas if you don't really plan for them. And I feel like that's part of what happened here. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Um, And sometimes, like, it's okay... To just let things be the way they are. Like, there is a tendency in superhero comics especially to take things that are relatively innocuous, that are just, oh, this is just the way things are, and try to imbue them with meaning, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's not enough for... Uh, the example that comes to mind, I, I, I read this in an article somewhere, the the... It's not enough for Barry Allen, the Flash, to just like bow ties. The bow tie has to have some, like, deep significance for him. Um, It's not enough for Nightcrawler to just look like a devil. He actually, there has to be a textual explanation for why that is. And it's not enough that he's a mutant, right? So you take those things and you make them concrete. You make them into... uh, like meaningful things and it comes off as like cheap or schmaltzy or in this case actually kind of destructive i think also definitively saying oh turns out kirk really or you know kurt wagner really is like a devil the devil then that kind of i don't know takes away from you know hinting at it like if you like defining something that didn't really need definition I don't know. I just I'm now the more I think about what elements are here, the more I think like there could have been something interesting in this story. And also, I love I love Nightcrawler. We don't really get his point of view. It feels like did it the like it feels like we see things that are happening, but we don't really get him in the driver's seat of the story. We get 
the team, we get a lot of, you know, uh, parts with Polaris and um, with uh, Annie Gazakanian, and we get, you know, uh, Charles Xavier back doing their own thing, and we get, you know, uh, Azazel kind of spouting off. I don't, I don't, I didn't feel like I got enough Nightcrawler in this Nightcrawler story. I feel like it was stuff, yeah. like all this stuff happened to him, um, but that was about it like it, we never yeah. really get to see him process any of this emotionally yep this is a story that is nominally about mystique and nightcrawler but actually isn't about either of them like who is the protagonist of the draco who is our point of view character sammy i'm pretty sure that it's <laughs> oh gosh <Is> sammy <laughs> i don't know cuz that that only happens in like the back pages of like four issues <laughs> Ugh. There's also like, yeah, I th- I think the only well, not, I don't want to say only, I think one of the few things that ties also because there's so many stories happening at the same time, right? Like you mentioned, yeah, we have the thing with Juggernaut and Sammy, we have the thing with Polaris, we have the thing with Iceman, we have the thing with Nightcrawler and Mystique. That's like four kind of threads going on right there, and I feel like only two of those stories are connected thematically. When it's the Juggernaut story and the Mystique Nightcrawler thing, and that's kind of because it's maybe thematically related in terms of, like, the parents, right? Or the father specifically. And that's... I feel like that's a very... I'm I'm stretching here for that, I feel like. If you are an abusive dad, you are basically the devil, right? Yeah. That's that's the the connection. That's the takeaway. I, I think abusive dads are pretty bad, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, but I mean, as far as like a a narrative through line for the story, we're doing the work on the writer's behalf, like trying to connect those threads. And I don't think the threads were intended to be connected. I think this is just part of the ongoing X-Men soap opera. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Like, none of these threads are in and of themselves bad, necessarily, if they were executed well. Um, But none of them are. Like... A couple of them have moments that I think are really good. Um, Weirdly, like when Charles and Kane, Marco, are talking, uh, when when Juggernaut's like, I'm going to go off and, and find my friend and you can't stop me. And they kind of get out some of their beef from when they were kids. That was actually, I thought, pretty good. A little heavy-handed, but good. It's like, I, I love stories where, where villains try to quote-unquote redeem themselves and here you've got a villain and a hero nominally um trying to bury the hatchet and they're just coming to blows because there's so much baggage but they're actually getting through some of this stuff that's pretty good um finding out that uh polaris is acting so like awful because of this really traumatic experience that she went through being on genosha when genosha was destroyed by sentinels I actually thought that was potentially compelling. Um, even at the very end, when Nightcrawler is talking to Charles Xavier about this experience that he went through and talks about how his uh, father isn't really the devil, but it's the man who taught him all of his values, and that's Professor X. Like, that's the sort of thing that maybe could have saved the story if it had been woven throughout, if it had been stronger thematically, if this had actually been Nightcrawler's story that might have made a difference. Um, but those little moments don't really lead to anything other than 
just more meanness. This is one of the, like, most unrelentingly miserable stories that I've ever read in a Marvel comic. And, like, that's the thing that that is just blowing my mind about it, is how it won't let itself be fun. It's just misery the entire time. And it didn't have to be. But it is, and it's bad. It's it's so bad, and... I, can we talk about the art? Are we to the art yet? Let's talk about the art. We can be. Some of the worst comic book art... The only worst comic book art I've ever seen was this... Um, I, I like Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale. I don't know to the degree that you guys like them. I like them. Um, Heroes was a TV show where Jeff Loeb did the art for one of the characters who was a painter, and it was pretty cool. And then they released a graphic novel with the first season. They said, here's you know some of this art. And then also we have some like kind of fill-in stories, kind of some, you know, uh, like what we would think like back issue kind of stuff you know there was there was um you know interesting stories with these characters but like very unprofessional looking art not great at all you know it was very hit and miss some of them were fine but the majority were just subpar this is as bad as that if not worse because this was you know this is the uncanny x-men this is a flagship title and the art like it's not even it's just bad like it, it's i see that they're kind of Going for that uh, that era, um, the Grant Morrison era, kind of that look, but it's it just is terrible. It's I I hated it the whole time. The proportions are bad. The inking looks sloppy. Um, again, the proportions are bad. <laughs> like it was like <laughs> teeny <laughs> tiny waists and like big broad shoulders, and everyone's at a, standing at an odd angle, and it just it was garbage. The I, faces me... were really inconsistently bad as well. Yeah, and like it's you know twenty some odd issues later, um, it starts to get into like you know X Men that I'm more familiar with that is like good art and or at least better I'm like trying to I'm scrolling down through all these covers here and like okay when do I give a crap about X-Men again okay uh, 492 is Messiah Complex and so okay um, <laughs> like there's a, there's a lot of tough stuff to get through and like before that I kind of liked it you know and and just for whatever reason this period is just not great um, yeah this is a bummer this is like when the movie came out you know you'd, you'd figure that you know, they'd be putting more effort into their, their titles. But. Uh, quick note, Sean Phillips uh, has done some work with Ed Brubaker on some of his noir-inspired uh, stories like The Fade Out and Criminal. Um, so I've not read those, but I, I suspect that they're pretty good because, you know, Brubaker's not a slouch. Philip Tan, on the other hand... Um, has done some work on Spawn, and uh, other than this, um, I think one of the stories that he might be best known for is uh, the Grant Morrison run on Batman and Robin. It looks like he did the uh, Red Hood story, also known as the bad story from that run. (laughs) See, I've never read it. The whole idea of Red Hood, I'm like, okay, all right, that's, you know, like they they made use of something that, 
you know, they, everyone voted to kill Robin, but then they brought him back, and like you know, a, a, like he's his own thing now. I don't know that on that level. I'm like, oh, okay, not bad. But I guess I've never read it and never like seen well, how is, it was this brought is much about. Later. This is after Jason Todd has come back. This is like. Oh. Uh, Batman is dead, but not actually dead because he was actually shot with a time laser and is is hopping through time. So Dick Grayson is Batman, and Damian Wayne is Robin, and Ugh. the Red Hood is going around killing people. And um, it's the the Red Hood portion of that is rough, and it's also really weird that Batman was presumed dead but not actually dead but was actually time hopping at the same time that Captain America was presumed dead but not actually dead because he was time hopping Hmm. those stories happened Hmm. at the exact same time (laughs) I know that Uh, like writers hop back writers and artists like hop back and forth between the two companies but like come on (laughs) it's kind of it's like that it's like it's the uh, Armageddon and Deep Impact it's the yeah. um, ants and Bugs Life. That one, I believe, was intentional oh. because Jeffrey Katzenberg left Disney around uh, that time okay. and was trying to screw him over. Oh. Allegedly, anecdotally, I don't. I, I yeah, whatever. Hey, do we have anything else to say about the Draco? I actually think we've covered it pretty well. But does anybody have anything else they want to bring up? I hate the cover to uh, number four hundred and thirty-three. Which is just... I probably do, too. Which one was that? It's the one where Nightcrawler's just standing, oh. staring sexily at the camera. <laughs> he looks like he's had a head injury. That's not, it's like, that's not, like... That's like if you dropped Zoolander on his head, and then you said, okay, now do Blue Steel. That's what he's going for. Yeah, it just... Uh, it's a little... Oddly, it's a it came out around the same time as Zoolander. Wait a minute. I have to look this up. What if they were out at the same time? <laughs> what if this was a thing? What if they were ham-handedly trying to... Anyways, that's that's all I had. <laughs> Zoolander was two thousand one. This came out in two thousand three. So you know, possible, unlikely. Also, I inconceivable. Also, I like that there's a kid who uh, isn't doesn't really think it's a little weird that like his friend's frozen head was decapitated and he can still talk to it. And he's just like, yeah, this is normal. I get that like they're powering up Iceman. Where you know, okay, if you shatter him in his ice form, he can still, you know. He's still there. It's just he's got to like recombine himself from water or whatever. But it was like they almost had a pee party, or did they end up doing it after all? No, they didn't. They didn't. They did not. Okay. And no, Iceman instead got the moisture he needed to reconstitute himself by sucking it all out of one of uh, Azazel's right. minions. Right. Again, this is not a pleasant story. No. Oh, and like I'm flipping through this issue. <laughs> oh, just the art is just garbage. I, oh, just all of it, all of it, and like it hops like style wise. Like I don't know if there were fill in issues or what or what they were going. It's just it's terrible. And and Nightcrawler's in a towel most of the most of the time. Like put him in his outfit. Ridiculous. It was kind of uh, frustrating that um, Nightcrawler and Abyss and some of the other Azazel folks. Uh, we're all drawn very much the same. Yeah. And it made it hard to follow, like, who who are we looking at right now? Nightcrawler's the one with the nose. I was going to say Nightcrawler's the one with the hair down. Also, um, the art switching uh, in the very last issue was, like, that, that was some serious whiplash. That was just, what the heck is going on? Um... You know, 
this was like somewhat competent art, but style wise was like too bright and not dark enough, and it looked too cartoony um, for the That's story Tadeshi they were going Miyazawa, through. Who yeah. also illustrated Spider Man Loves Mary Jane. Yeah. No, so I, I got that. Some of the facial expressions, I was like, oh, I've seen you before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hello, Tarkus, my old friend. You know, friend of the podcast, Takeshi Miyazawa. The only original comic art I own, I bought from Takeshi Miyazawa. Oh, really? If you guys... Yeah, I own two pages of Ms. Marvel. If you guys could buy, like... You know, one one like Marvel comic, like a classic like Marvel comic, for real. What what would it be? Like Ooh. own own like a classic Marvel. You know, that's a hard question. Probably Parable. Oh, that's like really a first. One. Would it matter like first edition, or would it, would it just like you just want to own? Well, I mean, if if that's the you know if it's literally whatever, yeah, I'd want a version of Parable that was. Uh, you know, not just financially valuable, potentially, but also, like, meaningful. So, yeah, I'd go for a first printing of Parable. Sure, why not? Issue one, because I believe it was printed as two issues. If this be my destiny. Oh, that's a good one. Mm -hmm. I don't have an answer. I was just trying to pick (laughs) John, John, why would you do this? (laughs) It used to be, it used to be, I was like, oh, X-Men number 12, that's like first, first, uh, first appearance of Juggernaut, because, like, as a kid, he, he seemed like a cool character, and like, I don't know. I still like Juggernaut. Not in this. Not at all. No. Not in this. Uh, except for that one scene with him and Charles Xavier. I could see how I was like, okay, okay. They're like they're doing some stuff here. Like they're they're doing some character work here. It just seems like they they just like what's the what's the creepiest way we can tell this story? Let's do that. Yep. All right. Let's move on to something else then. Well, that's my cue. That's my cue. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, so that's my cue to talk about Heroes Reborn. And Heroes Reborn is a 2021 event. I, I was Okay, so typically I, we like to go over the creative team. There is a different artist in every issue of this. There's a, a mostly different creative team. I think it's the same right. I, I believe it is Jason Aaron as the writer for all eight Matthew issues Matthew Wilson does the colors for all of them. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, big fan. Really, really like his work. Consistently great. <laughs> I guess the yes. closest you can get to lead artists on this is Ed McGinnis, who does the first issue, the last issue, and kind of the backstory in every issue. Because every, because with the okay, so so Heroes Reborn is a 2021 event. It came out uh, obviously 2021, so earlier this year, and it is seven issues plus an extra issue called Heroes Return, which is where the story wraps up. So Heroes. Reborn tells the story in seven issues, uh, eight issues, of a world that has been remade in which the regular Avengers don't exist. And it's not that they've been wiped out, but the critical event, which I guess is Captain America being rescued or frozen out of the, or defrosted, <laughs> doesn't happen in here. So, in their place, they have been replaced with the Squadron Supreme, who has now been named the Squadron Supreme of America. Squadron Supreme has historically kind of been a parody... I don't you know parody is the right word, but parody group of the Justice League in the Marvel Universe. And part of... Okay, so the way the story starts out, we had the first issue, which kind of sets up the foundation. It also sets up that Blade remembers everything for some reason. 
I think they briefly explain it in a sentence or two with the last issue why he's the only one who remembers. But he's the only one who's kind of aware that not everything is the same. So he's going around trying to find out who else remembers. And so kind of goes and recruits several heroes, including Thor, who has been drinking the whole time out of a bottomless mug that is actually his hammer. Uh, the current fear. Oh my gosh, I just put that together. Yeah, the current. Oh, he slams his his mug down on the counter, and that's what yeah. transforms him into Thor. Oh my gosh, that's yeah. amazing. The current Phoenix Maya Lopez is also one of the people. One of the people, the Star Brand, who is a baby, a Black <laughs> Panther, and Captain America are all part of a Blades. Uh, kind of makeshift Avengers group. Now, the story is different. Do we call him something different when he has a beard? No. Captain America. I just no. I, I just oh. call him Captain America. Daddy Rogers. Daddy. Please don't. <laughs> <laughs> I believe you mean Kenny. <laughs> he's, he's, he's Captain Kenny Rogers when he has a beard and he's Steven Rogers when he's clean shaven. <laughs> Iceman in the sea. That is who I am, <laughs> waiting for the team to thaw out my cans. Oh, no. How did Steven and I break Aldo? <laughs> that never happened. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Aldo, uh, you were saying. Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> you're fine, you're fine. Uh <laughs> Anyways, so in the issues in between, we get these individual stories of each of the Squadron Supreme members, starting out with uh, Hyperion, who is kind of the Marvel version of Superman. Who's There's no kind uh, of about... Like, this is blatant. This whole right. thing. <laughs> okay. I'm also not going to summarize each of the issues, because each of the issues does have, like, its own story. And I think if we will, if we want to talk about them, we will get to them. But the issues kind of in order are about Hyperion, who is Superman, Blur, who is the Flash, Dr. Spectrum, which I believe is Dr. Fate, maybe? I think he's actually supposed to be the Green Lantern. Lantern. Oh, Green Lantern. That's right. That's right. Because he has the colored stones and whatever. Yes. And he's super racist, just like Green Lantern. (laughs) And super racist. And uh, we have Nighthawk, who is Batman. And Power Princess, who is Wonder Woman. And kind of the big reveal of this is that there has been a... Oh, what is it? What do they call it? Like a... Oh, what is that stupid cube called? Pandemonium? It's... it's uh, yeah. It's like an evil version of the Cosmic Cube. The, the pandemonium, pandemonium cube, cube. Or the Helahedron. Yeah. The, oh my gosh, that's stupid. I just You just said it out loud and it just clicked. <laughs> it's stupid and also the best thing in the comic. Yeah. So, yeah, so the Pandemonium Cube. So we find out that the person behind all this is apparently Phil Coulson, who is a, you know, live-action MCU favorite. Has been around in the comics for a little bit. I don't know if he At least exists. since 2008. Uh, yeah, at least. Uh, yeah, I don't think he was around before that, but I, I don't no. know. He Clark Gregg is just that good. Yeah. <laughs> but apparently uh, not this Coulson. This Coulson's not that good, because apparently he made no. a deal with the actual devil, not a... Not a bi- not a biblical mutant, but actual devil Mephisto to get some sort of you know cosmic cube, a pandemonium cube, to be able to rewrite reality in which he is the president and has complete 
power over the Squadron Supreme, and there are no Avengers because he hates Captain America for some reason. Anyway, so they fight him and they defeat him, <laughs> and everything goes back to normal. Anyway, so they fight him. <laughs> I mean, okay. <laughs> I don't know how else to like summarize that. Uh, Carol Danvers shows up and she's kind of goes a little rogue on them because she, she's just a pilot. With an uh, attitude. Technically, Rogue goes a little rogue on Carol Danvers, if you recall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so so there are a lot of uh, not so subtle allegories to uh, DC Comics. Uh, I think one of my favorite ones, one of my favorite changes in here is one when we talk about Doctor Spectrum being the Green Lantern. It's the fact that Thanos has the Infinity Stones, but they're rings. They're they call them the Infinity Rings, and they apparently operate. Pretty much like lantern rings. Anyways, what yeah, did you I guys thought, think? I thought Hyperion like Hyperion sucked, and like his like. Oh, they all suck. They all suck. That was the best. Is like, hey, what would happen if Phil Coulson made a deal with the devil and he like distorted reality so much that it sucked? And it's like, oh, it just becomes DC. Oh my gosh, this is like the biggest middle finger to DC <laughs> since like Marvel versus DC back in the nineties. Or it was like, yeah, we're going to have Lobo and Wolverine fight. Um, oh my gosh. Like, I hated Hyperion so... I, you know you're supposed to. But him just be... Like, it was patriotism turning to nationalism. Like, he was just a knob. I just... Oh, so dumb. I think that's one of the things I like that's kind of consistent. Is how turned up to 11 everybody is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this, this story, like legitimately kind of ruled right yeah no i really liked this like like it it was like oh man things are really bad (laughs) like it was you know like but the story was fun to read and fun to get through and it was like seeing you know all the ways that like they do dc you know and like some of the art it's just like that's just that's just straight up like you know this this artist was just like i i get to do a batman batman silhouette check it out check it out look at him look at him he's got his cape and everything he got the cowl and it's all in silhouette, so it might as well be. Um, having said that, I had no problem with the blur, like the flash. Like he was fun. Um, his issue was fun, and uh, apparently, oh, that was a really good. This. That that was a really good story. I like that one because okay. So one of the things they do is they also kind of recontextualize some of the heroes or characters. Jimmy Olsen, Peter Parker. Yeah, we're not in race, so we have that. We also have, you know, the Hulk is still around, so we still the have Hulk a lot is of that basically stuff. Basically, Bizarro. Yeah, because yeah, the way he talks when he's in front of Hyperion's class, me, mm-hmm. I'm crazy, Hulk, I'm craziest one there is, it's all, yeah. Yeah, and one of, the, one of the things I liked was actually how they kind of recontextualized Wanda in the Blur issue, where... It was the Scarlet Speedster. That was The cool. Silver Witch. Silver Witch, yeah. Yeah, where she has absorbed uh, Pietro's powers and she's trying to get revenge on the Blur for that and yeah, that, that, that was really good that was really cool i really like that it was it was it was still true to the characters and but like put them in a, like what what it was like what if kind of like if he had died and she chose to do that and, and i think it was still you know loyal to the character um speaking of marvel versus dc like the thing that reminded me of more than anything else was uh the amalgam comics that's what i'm saying yeah I, I owned right. those. That was when I was reading comics as a kid. I really liked it. I had the yeah. Access number one where it's the guy who 
could go oh, between could go between universes and like there was a team up between Spider-Man and Superman to fight Venom. I was like, this is so awesome. And now I look back and I'm like, this was a gimmick. <laughs> this is like, oh, uh, it absolutely was. But it was kind of a fun one, especially I'm thinking like the 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 mashup. Because the thing yeah. that they did with the Amalgam comics that was so interesting was they took Marvel and DC characters and they didn't just say, well, what happens if we make them fight? But they said, what if Wolverine was also Batman? Dark what if Claw. Superman and Captain America were the same character? What if Doctor Strange and Professor X were the same character? That one's technically a spoiler. Um, <laughs> but it, And that aspect of it was actually, I think, pretty fun and... Uh, while the comics themselves may not have aged super well, I think that fun sort of mashup aspect did. And this does the same thing, except just with the stable of Marvel characters. What if Doctor Doom also had the the Crimson Gen of Sidorak and became Doctor Juggernaut? Uh, Which should have been like an unstoppable for, and like, but but didn't really go anywhere. I, th- I don't know. Are there other issues where they cover that actually? Maybe. Um, for me, I actually thought what we got was fun enough, honestly. Without having to play it out, yeah. Um, just personally, I, I really liked the sort of void of context, what is happening, this is buck wild yeah. storytelling that I, was in the book. I thought it was a really good format because we got like the first issue, which was, you know, the setup, right? We're kind of getting a little acclimated to what's going on here. Then the next, you know, the next uh, five issues are us kind of seeing a day in the life of these, you know, quote unquote heroes. But also they're sprinkling the, the main plot in two ways. One, that pretty much at the end of every issue, they're kind of figuring out that there is something a little weird. Uh, that people are remembering things differently or that they have a weird feeling that something's not right or the way it should be. But then we also get like a little, those extra kind of. The, the couple extra pages of comic uh, drawn by Ed McGinnis where it's Blade kind of recruiting his own Avengers, right? So I thought it was really well done how we got like these really nice portions of, of just kind of the individual stories, but we're still weaving everything together. It feels cohesive. It was really well done. Yeah. Yes. And it didn't feel like it was a Ready Player One thing where they're just... Hey, we're dropping in this character. Hey, we're dropping in this character. I felt more intentional. There were um, interesting uh, character choices and inclusions, you know. Um, yeah. Tony Stark was just in the background. You know, Cap was still used kind of as, you know, like the, the big the big reveal. Like, oh, we're bringing Cap into this, and that's what's going to straighten things out, you know. And he has a beard. I can't stress this enough, how cool it is to occasionally, like, give your non-beardless or your beardless characters beards. They really like it. It's not as good as Colossus with a beard, but it's, it's up there. <laughs> uh, I, uh, man, I'm trying to think. I think my favorite moments... Um, were like the Hulk versus Hyperion with the weird sort of Superman Bizarro thing they had going on. Um, I really liked the Doctor Spectrum issue because Hyperion was awful, right? But Doctor Spectrum was like the worst version of Hyperion. He wasn't just like, you know, disgustingly into the American exceptionalism. He is pure jingoism let's go colonize space make sure that it's safe for the you know red-blooded white-skinned americans he's the ultimate american racist 
um, just awful, and you know you're not supposed to sympathize with him, and you're really hoping that Rocket Raccoon, with his gun that shoots group bullets, is able to take him down. Um, also, the art in that issue was phenomenal. I loved the art in that one. I thought the art in this was interesting and consistently good throughout. Um, yep. I didn't mind when it, you know, like changed artists. I think that it, was, it felt less of fill in and more of like stylistically chosen to be that way. Um, since we're talking about the art, my favorite, um, I don't know, there's a lot of really good stuff because like the going from the X Men story we read to this, like they did a great job. Um, as far as like paneling and coloring and the anatomy is good and you know anytime it's like if it's off it's intentional um there is a panel page 17 of issue which issue is this three it's the blur issue and we we talked about how he's the flash but he's also kind of like dr strange right where he's he's gone to um uh camartage to um try to learn to control his power and he's like you know supposed to stare at this flower and learn to use and learn to control himself and he's you know done that and done that but like isn't slowing down and he's able to do that to get part of his soul back from the scarlet witch or the um silver witch what do we say yeah yeah silver witch Silver Witch. um but then stanley stewart the blur the fastest man alive the attention span of a hummingbird on meth he sits down and he's still in color but then there are these you know floating fish and some octopus tentacles and some little green crabs everything else and some waves but everything else is gray and he's just at peace and is able to beat um the beat the uh, the silver witch um bring in this uh wraith whale uh thing apparently and get his soul back um and get her back to you know what is this oh ravencroft not uh you know, Gotha or um, um, Arkham. Arkham. You know, but it's Arkham. So right. I thought I thought that was really cool. I'd be interested with you know him sticking around a little longer, and it looks like he might. Um, but consistently good art that helped a lot. Um, and I don't know what what other like were there. I so I, I'm like going through now, and I'm like, oh yeah, that was a good art moment. That was a good art moment. Dang it! I, I'm happy you brought that up because uh, I was going to bring him up, but you 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 said it better than I could. So thanks. <laughs> Hi, and your uh, face. Uh, some of this night, some of this uh, Nighthawk art, though. I'm looking now that I've said like, yeah, consistently good art. Then I'm like, well, um, the style of this one. Yeah. I, I like that, that good. <laughs> I like that Luke Cage is the commissioner in that one he's the commissioner Gordon yeah 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 oh I actually hated that what? I thought it was funny but okay because <laughs> Luke Cage shouldn't be a cop tell uh, I, I, I kind of want to get into this please because um, Luke Cage like winds up being a cop often and it's a weird fit because his whole deal is that he is, you know, a, a character who was let down by the criminal justice system. He was wrongfully accused of crimes and served time in prison for a crime he did not commit. And so he's like one of the best characters to actually offer critique of the system. And whenever they get the opportunity to like put him in one of these fresh environments, 
they don't make him like a critique of the system. They make him a part of the system. And that bugs me. Yeah, but I, I think that kind of works with this specific scenario, though. I think in any other, uh, I think in most other scenarios, I probably would be a little uncomfortable. But I think because the whole point of this is like everything sucks, including Luke Cage, <laughs> who is now okay, a cop. Here's, here's another thing. Uh huh. Does everything suck? So, okay, so everything sucks for us. I feel, but because 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 Coulson makes the point that there is now peace, right? That they've achieved peace without the Avengers. That they're not really needed. But like I don't know what costs making a deal with the devil. So yes. I, I I don't know. Does does everything suck? I mean, not for them. Yeah, like that's it, probably my biggest gripe with the book is that the the stakes aren't entirely clear. Other than oh, the characters that we like are not here, which to me is not necessarily enough to to really carry it. Um, cause it feels like they're setting up for some sort of interesting philosophical argument, right? Um, but they don't. It's just what if the Marvel comics characters were able to beat up DC superheroes? Wouldn't that be rad? And it is rad. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> it just, it feels like they're trying to go for something more and I don't think they get there. Gotcha. At least not based on these issues alone. Yeah, I don't think they do. I think this. I think for the most part, this event because it doesn't. I mean, obviously, everything goes back to the way it's meant to be, the same way everything always does in comics. Right. But I think the point of this one was to have fun. Like this felt like an event that was like, hey, let's just kind of do something fun. It, we know it's not going to mean anything. We know everything's going. At some point, everything's going to have to go back the way it, you know, it was. So why not just have fun? And I feel like that's kind of the the. You know, the thing here is, you know, let's just kind of do this. Let's recontextualize some heroes. Let's have some fun and not really search yeah. for a deeper meaning. Could it have had one? I think so. And I think maybe it would have improved the story. But I don't I don't know that that's exactly what they wanted to do. Yeah, and that's fair. <laughs> um, oh, man, I just wish it did because it gave me the same sort of like excited vibes as something like Secret Wars. Mm -hmm. uh, and... The fact that it doesn't have that sort of larger thematic material going for it does bring it down a notch because that, I mean, at least for me, because that's the sort of story that I like, right? Yeah, and that's her. Yep. Um, I also didn't love the the Power Princess. I was about to say, I actually really like the issue with Power Princess. <laughs> Out of the individual, like, Squadron Supreme issues... I actually think that one was my favorite. Interesting. So so tell me about it. What did you like about it? Okay, so it's dumb in like the right ways. Uh <laughs> in the in the sense that Just her like secret me. Yes. <laughs> her hideout is in the Statue of Liberty. She has a garden that she keeps all of her foes, you know, in turned to stone, so she has Hercules there, she has like just a bunch of these other people there she she gets drunk with her magic mirror when she's done partying that was funny. Yeah. yeah wouldn't you if you had a magic mirror come on come on yeah i also love the fact that it's her versus thor so we have this whole idea of like these kind of characters embedded in other mythologies kind of fighting against each other which is just you know a 23 page 
version of the God of War video game. And <laughs> so, like, that's kind of what I like about it. I, I, I really like, I, I don't know, I like that. I also really like the art, um, I found out. So, same thing kind of with issue three, which was the blur issue. I thought really good art, but um, I think these artists, at least to me, they're, they're new. The artist on issue three was uh, Federico uh, Vicentini, and the artist for issue six, the Power Princess episode, was Erica Durso. And so I thought uh, really solid like entries from both those artists. So I don't, I don't know. That's kind of my spiel for it. I don't know if that sold it, but that's why I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I I have a question. Yeah. Why Blade? Because of his oh wait, right because of his connection to evil, to yeah. the devil. Yeah. I so. think that's that's why. Um, I liked it. I actually liked how they centered a lot of heroes who don't typically get centered. Yes, you had Captain America. Yes, you had Thor. But you also had Blade and Maya Lopez, who's the Phoenix now. And and a baby Starbrand. The the baby Starbrand, who at first I didn't like, but the more I read of her, the more I'm like, okay, I, I like this foul-mouthed little godling. That's pretty great. Yeah. Um, so, like, the those characters were fun and interesting and new and exciting. Um, like, I really liked that. I do think that making Coulson the bad guy is, wasn't the best move. Yeah, because I, I can't see him as a bad... It's like, maybe that was the whole point, is that, like, you'd never expect him to be a bad guy. He straight up made a deal with the devil. Um, yeah. There may, be, there may be some ground laying that happened elsewhere that made it more, like, a, a more reasonable shift for him. But yeah. based on what I read here, I don't quite see it. That's yeah. a nitpick, though. It, I'm gonna, it definitely... I want to make that clear. That's actually a nitpick, because I don't care about Coulson that much. <laughs> Not in the comics. If they did something... Well, they did do something. They, they killed him in the, in the movies and yeah. made a very it's, subpar show. It's just one of those things where it feels like... It feels like they chose Coulson specifically to kind of shock, right? Because if, if you... Like, if you... If, because if you're like me and you like the MCU and you like the comics and you see this thing and you pick it up and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, wait, what? Coulson's the bad guy? Oh, gee willikers, what have you done here? But I'm assuming if you've been reading, I guess, the right comics, like you mentioned, there's probably some groundwork laid for this about Coulson being who he is in here for whatever reason. Like, I'm sure that makes sense. Or, like, this is probably, you know, does have some groundwork laid out. But we just didn't do the homework. But, I, I mean, that's fine. We didn't need to, I feel like. How much homework do we need to do? Oh, my gosh. How much X-Men do we need to read? <laughs> like, I, I, I kind of talked about how, like, this book isn't, like, quite hitting all the buttons for me. But it does the big thing that we want these comics to do, which is it makes us want to read more comics, right? Yes. I kind of want to get more of this context. I want to read more of the spin-offs from Heroes Reborn. I I want to read that. Me too. The Amazing Shutterbug. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I want to go read those. We know we know what happens to them though, so that's rough. Yeah. Um <laughs> You know what else I want to read? Night Gwen. I want to read whatever comes next. I want to read the the story that follows up on the 615 Mephistos in the Council of Red. Oh yeah, right! That was a good. Crap, that's hilarious. That was a good little drop of like you know, villains to come. 
Because here's the thing. Even in bad stories that we've read with Mephisto, Mephisto himself has been very, very enjoyable. Uh-huh. So you can just imagine how good a story with 616 Mephistos is. I, I also, I forgot to mention this when we were talking about the last book. But I think it's funny that they have Azazel, who's, you know, playing himself off as, as the devil or whatever in biblical terms, blah, 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 blah. But actual devil is here. It's yeah, Mephisto. It's like Mephisto is the evil embodiment of, excuse me, fives of tennis speaking. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Azazel is the five. <laughs> but it's like, it also just occurred to me... That it's not 666 Mephistos, it's 615. So it's 616 Mephistos. It's it's not a play on the evil number, it's a play on the Marvel Comics number, which actually might make it better. I don't yeah. know. It's too easy to just make, make it 666. That's just too easy and obvious and anyone could think of that. But um, I wanted to mention, because I forgot it earlier, but the Superman-Captain America amalgamation was just called Super Soldier. Which, that's dumb, but it gets worse. <laughs> um, Man-Bat, or man, Man-Bat and Man-Thing is Bat-Thing. And nope. Starfire and Shatterstar become Shatterstarfire. So, <laughs> we, we could have done... Man, those are so weird. Yeah, we could have done a lot worse. Um, just, I, I really enjoyed this. And uh, it was a fun little diversion, you know. It was uh, yeah, just you know, such a, such a breath of fresh air after the. I'm still trying to figure out though what leads into this and what follows. And I, I yeah, I, right. I have a suspicion that it comes from the uh, the adventure stories because I think Jason Aaron's is the writer right now, or was around this time. And so part of the reason why I bring this up is because I started I also started picking up Dark Ages, which is like a relatively new series, kind of in the and I thought that followed up I thought that was a sequel to this. It's not. They feel completely disconnected. So now I'm kinda of curious if there is any fallout, where does that happen? And if there is any lead up to this, where does that happen? I I, I feel like Avengers is probably the safest bet, but I feel like this book kind of came out of nowhere and it almost feels like it can sit like on the sidelines by itself without really needing to be tied in but i would be interested to see its connections yep and the fact that it kind of feels like it can sit by itself is one of the things that i like a lot about it Uh is it's fun it's exciting it's relatively self-contained. I do not like the fact that the final issue is published under a different title. Um, yeah, that that is a bummer because it's like, what, but but then what? And it, but that's what a comic is supposed to do is to get you to pick up the next one. Yeah, though I imagine if this is being released as a paperback, that I would hope that's included because I would feel very underhanded to not. Yeah. Do we have anything else that we want to say at this point, or are we ranking now? I think, I think we're, we're good, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's <laughs> do it. Oh, also, I didn't make the connection because I'm, I'm, I'm dumb. But <laughs> uh, I didn't realize that the that Maya Lopez was the echo that John was trying to get us to read a story of like a while back, like a long time ago. And we couldn't find those issues for from whatever Daredevil or Hawkeye story we were reading. Oh. Uh, 
And so just click that that's who that is. Oh, yeah. I don't know anything about the character other than she had a, a bit of an appearance during the Bendis run on Avengers, uh, which kind of got me back into comics. All I, all I think is uh, she's deaf, right? Like, that's part of her she big thing? She is deaf, yes. They, they okay. talk about that in this issue. Yeah, so she's... In, in this story. Um, right, she's deaf, and and uh, her thing is that she can kind of mimic anybody. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember recommending that, so I'm really glad that that stuck around in your head. Are you sure, <laughs> sure that wasn't Steven? No, that, that was you, because you also... Rec- you also wasn't me. You thought you found the issues, and they weren't. <laughs> well... Nobody's perfect. I also love that apparently in canon, I, I, this is how not kept up I am with the comics. The Avengers live on a mountain now. Yeah. <laughs> they, have, they have a mountain called Avengers Mountain, and that's where they live. Yeah, what is up with that? <laughs> See, I, I need to don't... get back into Avengers. <laughs> yeah, same. Same. I need to, uh, need to get back in. So, uh, currently on our list, we have 162 stories. Uh, very top of the list is uh, No Normal, Ms. Marvel. Uh, very bottom of the list is The Evil That Men Do, Spider-Man. Bah. Yikes. Okay, so first story up is The Draco. Is this worse than The Evil That Men Do? I mean, it's close. It's down there, right? Yeah. I'd put it after one more day. I would put it, like, second worst. Evil That Men Do is really bad. Um, evil That Men Do is really bad. Um... I think the fact that the book opens with Mystique's not an O-Face puts us above the book where we see the Green Goblin's O-Face, right? (laughs) The logical hula hooping done just now. I agree, but I feel gross. so, So the Draco is now our third worst book then, right? No, second worst. No! I do think this is worse than One More Day. Okay, well, if, if going by the O-Face argument... <laughs> part of... <laughs> the bad part about One More Day is is not that it was, like, a dumb story executed poorly. Like, there's still some stuff that about with One More Day, like, the Doctor Strange stuff is fine. And it's more that they took it in that direction that makes One More Day particularly galling. This is just garbage on top of garbage on top of garbage. Why is it that the books... Why is it that Marvel books with Satan are either, like, really good or really bad? <laughs> because we don't know at what point in the Faustian agreement the artist and writer are in. <laughs> oh is, it the, is it the, you know, payback? Or is it the, you know, high times before the payback? Alright, so uh, right above the evil that men do? Yep. Uh, second worst story on our list, the Draco. There, there are, oh gosh, I don't recommend it. Like, skip it. It's it's not worth reading, not even for fun, really, because it's not fun. At the bare minimum, the evil that Mandu has a teleporter teleporting into somebody else to make him explode, which, like, gruesome, gross, and I don't ever want to see it again, but, like, that's interesting. Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. Well, I mean, I guess this one has Polaris popping out of somebody's sucky hole in their stomach. Oh god. <laughs> okay, let's If we say it one more hey, hey no one. joke. If you say it one more time it becomes the episode title, so don't say it, Beetlejuice. <laughs> I guess that was okay, pretty That was that was pretty abysmal. <laughs> oh god. There we go. That's the Aldo that we know and tolerate. Where do we rank <laughs> Heroes Reborn? 
I think pretty high. It's good. I don't think the 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 fact that it doesn't have that sort of thematic material to me says it's not even a contender for the top ten. Haven't really looked much at that level of list, but I don't think we're that high. We're close, but we're not there. What I'm looking for, because I can't remember where it is, is I feel that it is on par, but definitely better than Thor's Battleworld, but I don't remember how high that is. Thor's Battleworld is at 65. Oh yeah, it goes it goes higher than that. <laughs> yeah. It goes much higher much than higher that. Much higher than say. that. I think Thor's Battleworld has been knocked down unnecessarily but we do have some good we get some good stuff yeah um, remind me what happens in unthinkable with the fantastic four this is a 2000 mark wade and uh mike Wiernigo. that's the one where dr doom sends franklin richards to hell and reed richards has to beat him up with a gun made of magic that only operates when he says i don't know what i'm talking about yeah that's a solid 24 okay never mind <laughs> <laughs> That's about the neighborhood, though, that I'm thinking. I think you're. I think you're right, um, and that's really good company. That's you know, uh, the Doctor Strange, The Last Days of Magic, Dark Phoenix is in there. Winter Soldier. Forget in me there. not. I don't think it goes higher than Dark Phoenix and Winter Soldier because those were well executed and and like kind of groundbreaking stories to like the the overall Marvel universe, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe I mean maybe this will turn into something. Maybe this will be like a you know an offshoot brand that'll keep going because it's really fun ideas, you know. It's really um, fun and quality quality artwork. Um, so I think it's somewhere in this neighborhood. Um, I think it I think it passes Runaways on our list. Like Runaways is still one of my favorites, but the art is just not great in some of those early issues. So I um, I'm hesitant to put this up. Above God Butcher, I feel like at least for me that's that's kind of a ceiling. Yeah, even Last Days of Magic, you think it's not as good as the Earth's? Not as good as that? Uh, I think it's it, it's probably as good as that. I just I th- I think God Butcher maybe should have gone a little higher in retrospect. But um, and it might I think there's a chance that when we read the rest of the Jason Aaron Thor run, that'll get consolidated like we did with Hawkeye. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that's a good point. That that that's a possibility. Yeah, we'll consolidate um, that in five years. <laughs> it's a long run. It's so a funny. You, think, you think we're not going to be dead by then? <laughs> now here's the thing, though. At least for me personally, like everything from like 24 to uh, 28. Those books are all at, like equally good, and so I'm actually fine with this going anywhere in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we want to put it between Runaways and God Butcher at number the new number twenty seven, I'm totally fine with that because that's good company for this book. I'm okay, okay with that. Yeah. Okay. Also, I just realized we've knocked Runaways down from number three <laughs> so much. I you know what? You can't have everything in life, is what I. It was our third episode. Okay, it was our third episode. It was really early in this. Also, Hawkeye stayed at number four. You know, combining combining like previous stories where we read up separately. You know, but I I mean, that's a that's a trade off I'm willing to make. You that's know? Right. Also, also one more day used to be number two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I remember ranking that. It's like, well, it's number two on our list, but don't let that fool you. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, man. So, um, yeah. Speaking of, like, not getting what you want all the time, John, um, <laughs> next episode is going to be our Halloween episode, and you know what that means. Time for me to eat my Brussels sprouts. Mm-hmm. It's time for Marvel Zombies again. They keep making them. This is our fourth Halloween episode, so we're reading Marvel Zombies number four. This is the longest lasting relationship I've had. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I get the impression that we're not feeling super spoopy this year, so our double feature for Halloween, the second story is not actually a Halloween story. Um, We're going to read the original Old Man Logan series. Old Man Logan runs in Wolverine, Volume 3, number 66 through 72, and then the Old Man Logan Giant Size, number 1. Uh, a miniseries from 2008, uh, written by Mark Millar, who is... I don't know. I feel like a lot of people like Mark Millar. I'm not 100% sure I do. He is on. Our, I'm looking where he is on our list because I have a feeling we've read him before, and... I seem to remember liking him, but now I'm trying to find... Mark... So Mark Mars, my favorite stuff out of him has been his kind of independent stuff. He did... Um... Kingsman. He also did... Um... Uh, I'm spacing... Super Crooks, which is actually getting an anime adaptation, which is kind of weird. Um... Uh, <laughs> He's, yeah, he's done quite a bit, but speci- specifically for me, it's been those. I think he also did Civil War, oh, didn't he? That's he where. did Civil War. There he is. <laughs> he did Civil War. I was like so, scrolling you know. down, down, down. I was like, no, why is he so low? Uh-oh. Because Steven gets a vote. <laughs>